So turn with me to 1 John uh, chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Let's pray once again as we open the word. And Father, as we do open the word, we ask that uh, you would pour out your spirit upon your word, that we would understand what it means to be your children, uh, that you have overcome, that we would have hope in you. And so, Holy Spirit, would you bring uh, life to us, Lord? Would you be glorified? And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Birth is so exciting physically and uh, spiritually. All four of our kids, so highlight of my life was being there and being present when God brought them into the world, when my wife brought them into the world. Uh, such a joyous uh, occasion. And each time that we had a child, I got really nervous. I think I was probably more nervous than my wife. You know, as, as it got close and the due date's coming, I was concerned for her and concerned for the kids and, you know, just kind of getting spun up and you don't know exactly when this is going to happen, but be ready and be prepared and make sure I've got my cell phone on and answering it. I'm not the best at answering uh, my cell phone, but during that time, I wanted to make sure to get that phone call that it was time for one of our kids uh, to be born. And we had the real privilege of all four kids of ours being born at home. Uh, my wife grew up with a close friend where her mom was a midwife, so she grew up with the idea of home birth. And I'm from Oregon, so there's no more need to be said there. Uh, and so I know home birth's not for everyone, but it was a real gift uh, for us with each of our kids. And so all, all four of them were born uh, naturally. My wife was very present. I was very present. And it was a real gift from God to see all four of them uh, come into the world uh, healthy. It kind of marks you in a, in a very specific way. And I think all parents, regardless of, of where they're born, uh, you know, feel that way. And you hold them in your arms uh, for the first time and hold their hands. And you realize, man, God, you created this life. And life is, is so powerful. And also, spiritual birth is powerful. One of the things that I'm so thankful for here as a church family is we see people come to Christ, see people be, be born again, put their faith in Jesus Christ, and for God to give them spiritual life, to be born uh, of God. And Nicodemus was approached by Jesus, and he was a religious man, but he didn't have a relationship uh, with God. And Jesus began to describe the process of someone being born of God being a move of the Spirit, and the spirit being like the wind, that you can see the effects of the wind, but you can't see the wind. And you can see the effects of the Holy Spirit, but you can't uh, uh, see the, the Holy Spirit. And without being born of God, you, you can't have uh, eternal life. And so we find this theme again in First John chapter 5 of being born of God. What does it mean to be born of God? How do you be born of God? And how do you live as the child of God? So it's a good reminder for us as believers. It's an encouragement to those that maybe haven't trusted Christ for salvation, that tonight you would be born of God, to equip us uh, as sons and, and daughters of God to be able to share the gospel with others that they could be born of God as well. Verse 1, whoever believes that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, is born of God. And everyone who loves him, who is begot also loves him who is begotten of him. So we have this clear indication, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now, sometimes we're so familiar uh, with the name Jesus Christ that we fail to realize what Christ means. Christ is a title. It means Messiah. So whoever believes that Jesus is the Messiah, and Messiah means the anointed one, 
Specifically, it's the one that's prophesied in the Old Testament, the anointed one from the Old Testament that would save us from our sins. For the Jews, they had a really deep understanding of this because they were looking forward to the coming Messiah. Many Jews today don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and they're still looking for the the coming Messiah. And so for all of us, Jew or Gentile, that come to the understanding and believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the anointed one, that he's God's son, the result is, is that we're born of God. What an amazing gift of God that through faith we could become the children of God. That this is how God would choose to bring us into spiritual life, to cause us to be born again, to cause us to be children of God through, through faith. And here comes this clarifying statement. It's so important. It says, and everyone who loves him who is begot also loves him who is begotten of him. I don't know about you, but it's a little easy to get lost in the begots there in, in, in verse 1. But it's saying if you love Jesus, you will love the one who provided Jesus for us. You can't separate Jesus and the Father. Some people would say, well, I love Jesus, but I, I don't appreciate the Father. I believe in Jesus, but I, I don't believe in, in the Father. And what John is saying is if you love Jesus, you're also going to love the Father. In verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. This is interesting if you read it closely. This is how we know that we love the body of Christ. This is how we know we love brothers and sisters in Christ when we love God and keep his commandments. You would think it would read, this is how we know that we love God if we love him and keep his commandments. But this is speaking of, this is how we know we love one another if we love God and we keep his commandments. On this Valentine's Day, the best way to love your spouse, love the person next to you, is to love God and to keep his commandments. Because through loving God, you're connected to the vine, Jesus Christ, and that gives you supernatural love for others. This is the best thing that we can do for one another, is love God and obey his commandments. Now, verse 3 sums up for us what it means to love God. What does it mean to really love God? For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So this is how we know if we love God if we keep his commandments, if we obey his commandments. Quite honestly, we've got a really twisted view of love in our culture. It's primarily driven by emotions and feelings. And we drag that into our relationship with God. And if we're feeling a lot in our relationship with the Lord, then we love God. But if we don't feel anything, if our emotions are dry or we feel disconnected from the Lord, then we start to go, I don't know if I love God. I don't know if God loves me. Now, there's nothing wrong with emotions. God created emotions, and I think we are to to love God and love others through our emotions, but if that's what our love is based on, we're going to be sorely disappointed, right? This cannot be our foundation for a love relationship with God. So, So how do we know if we love God? Through obedience. If we obey his commands, then we're in love with the Lord. We're, we're following the Lord. So we can test our love for God by our obedience. So you really can, in a good way, take the emotion out of it. Say, sometimes I'm going to feel all the warm fuzzies towards God, but other times I'm not. 
I can't go by my emotions, but I'm going to choose to try to obey God's commands. Thankfully, God has really summarized his commands for us. We have 613 commands in the Old Testament, very thorough and detailed. And Jesus summed it up in the great commandment. It says, love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. It all comes down to loving God and loving one another. You're keeping God's commandments. John, he summed it up as well in 1 John 3, 23. You remember, maybe you remember this. And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. What does John say is the command of God? Believe on Jesus and love one another. How do we love God? Through faith. How do we love one another? Through Christ flowing through us. But this is important. Obedience is important. We're not obeying to earn or deserve our salvation. We've received salvation by grace, but obedience is important in a love relationship uh, with the Lord. To say, to obey God's commands is to truly love the Lord. How do we grow in loving the Lord? Hopefully our love for the Lord abounds. Amen? We, we grow in obedience to uh, God's commands. In verse 4, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So who is the one who overcomes the world? It's the person who has faith in Christ. He who overcomes the world believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And this is our victory that we have overcome the world. So victory over the world comes through faith in Jesus. Uh, this word victory, it was for the Greek goddess of victory, which was Nike. That was their Greek goddess of victory, where we get our shoes. Someone did their, their homework, right? Victory is a pretty big deal right now. It's the Winter Olympics. You know, it's a big deal to win a, a gold medal. And when our country wins a, a gold medal, especially in snowboarding here in Colorado, we're excited, aren't we? You know, we're like, yeah, way, way to go U.S., right? We got some good athletes, and, and there's that victory. wonder what it would be like to, to stand up on that platform and receive that, that gold medal. You know, I've overcome, I've conquered. The word overcome also means uh, to conquer. So this is very encouraging for us as being born of God, as being children of God, we have victory over the world. We have overcome the world. When we think of the world, we think of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We, we think of the mundane reality of, of this world. We think of our struggle with our own sin. We think of the violence that is taking place and is epidemic, and all of the things that weigh our hearts. And in Christ, we have overcome. In Christ, we have conquered. We are victorious. You have won the gold medal because of Christ and us being in Christ. And it's important for us to lay hold of that because we don't always feel victorious, do, don't we? Sometimes what we believe and what we experience, there's a gap in between those two. Lord, I know that I'm victorious in you, but I keep experiencing defeat. I, I keep succumbing to temptation and walking in, in discouragement. And I think the Lord would want to remind us tonight to focus on Christ. And what God sees and what he knows is because of our faith in Christ, because of our faith in Jesus, we have overcome. 
If you are in Christ, it's not, are you going to make it? You've already made it. He who began a good work is going to be faithful to complete it. Lay hold of the victory that God has, has given to you. How do we experience this victory in our lives? It's faith in Christ. Faith in Christ. It's union with Christ. It's fellowship with Christ. More and more, we're going to experience the reality of the victory that's already been provided as we focus on Jesus. Jesus is with you. He's going to be with you as you go home tonight and as you try to get some sleep and you wake up and do your thing tomorrow morning. And, and what does John say? Where is this victory? It's in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not in a program. It's in a relationship uh, with Jesus Christ. You know, the church that I grew up in was very vibrant and alive, and a lot of people coming to receive Christ as their Savior, and they would give opportunity to receive Christ and get baptized at the same moment, at the same time in the summer in the amphitheaters. And they never had a new believers class, and they never had a follow-up for anybody that received Christ as their Savior. And that really caused a lot of people to wonder, well, why aren't you doing follow-up with, with these new believers that have just received Christ? And our pastor would always share, we do have a follow-up program, it's Jesus. And Christ is in them, and he is the hope of glory. Now, is there a value in a new believer's class? Absolutely. Is there value in, in follow-up? Absolutely. But you know what their follow-up was? Come to worship. Come to Bible study. Grow in Jesus. Read your Bible. They strategically pointed people to Jesus Christ. And I think our tendency is, a lot of times, we want to look to a program. We want to look to a mentor. We, we want to look to, to this or that, and th that has their place. And we offer a lot of those things here. But it's secondary to Jesus. The victory that we're longing is found in Jesus. We overcome through our, our faith in Christ. Think about problems that you're facing in your walk or in your life, in your family. Where's our faith and our trust? Are we putting our faith and our trust in Jesus? Or are we putting our faith in a program? Are we putting a faith in our own wisdom? And God has a way of getting us to the end of our own resources. Have you noticed that? Our programs only go so far. Our effort only goes so far. And we get to that place like we sang tonight. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus, I'm looking to you. Victory comes through you. Christ is victorious. And because he's victorious, we have been given the victory. We have overcome in verse 6, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. John now develops this theme of faith. How can you be confident, how can you be certain that Jesus is God, that, that Jesus is the Messiah, and he's going to give us the testimony of God in Jesus Christ? Benjamin Franklin has this quote, says, nothing is certain but taxes and death. <laughs> I guess taxes are nothing new, huh? It's a pretty good quote. But as believers, there's something that's more certain than just taxes and death. And that is the testimony of God in the person of Jesus Christ. So this is an important verse. It says, Jesus came by water and blood. And not only by water, but by water and blood. So these two things testify of Christ. And then there's a third continuing in verse 6, and it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. So there's three that are bearing witness of Jesus Christ, that he is God. So what are these? What in the world is water? Water is referring to the baptism of Jesus. 
Jesus begins his public ministry. John the Baptist is baptizing people, preparing them for Christ. Jesus goes out to be baptized by John the Baptist, not because he was a sinner, but it was a sign. It was an outward display that his life belonged to the Father, that he was surrendering himself to the will of the Father. John the Baptist is kind of weirded out. He's saying, no, no, you should be baptizing me. Jesus says, no, we must do this so that all things could be fulfilled. Christ is baptized in the Jordan River, comes up out of the water, and the Father speaks audibly from heaven. Now, I still long to hear that. Wouldn't that be awesome to hear what God's uh, voice sounds like, what the Father sounds like? And he says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So the water, when Jesus was baptized is a moment in history where we see the Father testifying that this is my Son, that this is the Messiah, and I'm well pleased in his surrender. I'm well pleased in his his sacrifice. We also see Christ coming in blood, speaking of the cross, speaking of the crucifixion. The Bible hangs upon the cross. The Bible points from the Old Testament to this point in the future where Jesus would die upon the cross where his blood would be shed for sin. How do we know that Jesus is God? Because he claimed that he would die upon the cross. And three days later, he would rise again. Yes, Jesus died, but the death didn't have the final word, and Christ rose from the dead. So that gives us testimony that Jesus Christ is God. If you had two hours to spend with a good friend a family member who is an unbeliever and they were searching about who Jesus is, what would you share with them? I would consider sharing with them blood and water and the Spirit. Share with them about the baptism of Christ. Share with them about the crucifixion. That's so important. Why did Jesus have to die? Because we're sinners, because of God's love for us, to pay the price for sin. Share with them the blood and then share with them the Spirit. Because the Spirit bears witness of Jesus. The Spirit points us to Christ. We're told that the Spirit convicts us of our sin. And begin to plant that seed in their heart of of what is God speaking to you. They may not know the term the Spirit. Like if you talk to someone who doesn't know Christ and you're like, why don't you listen to the Spirit? They're like, what is this, like the field of dreams? Like Kevin Costner, like just hearing... Build it and they will come. Like, what are you talking about? You you might want to say, why don't you give God an opportunity to speak to your heart? Well, what has God been showing you about himself? But you're you're getting the attention of their ear of of, to listening to God because it's the spirit that's pointing us to Jesus. Think about when you came to know Christ as your savior, what was the spirit of God doing in your life? I know for me, God was making me very aware, the Spirit was making me very aware of my own emptiness apart from Christ. And it was that emptiness that led me to call, call out to God. And so these three things, they're bearing witness of Christ, that Christ is the Messiah. And verse 7, for there are three that bear witness in heaven. So we have the testimony on earth and we have the testimony in heaven. Here's the three bearing testimony in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. The Word, of course, is a title for Jesus Christ. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Father is bearing witness of the Son. The written Word of God is bearing 
witness to the Son. Jesus himself is bearing witness of himself and the Holy Spirit. And these three together are one, the Trinity. And verse 8, and there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. They're all together in agreement. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which has testified of his Son. You know how quick we are to receive the testimony of people, you know? If someone shares, hey, this is what went down, I was there, there's three or four people there, like, okay, this is the way this went down, and and this is what, what happened. But then when God bears witness, when he bears testimony, we're like, I'm not so sure. You know, that whole thing, creation in six days, I don't know. You know, God spoke and there was light, seems pretty crazy. Noah building a boat with his wife and sons and their wives and animals coming on the ark and God flooding their, I, I'm, not, I'm not so sure about that one, right? We kind of like to pick and choose, all right, I, I can buy this one, but I, I can't buy that one. Really? He's either God or not. I mean, we're talking about the supernatural altogether. If you can believe the crucifixion and the resurrection, why are you stumbling with creation? Why are you stumbling with the flood? God has the ability to be able to do that. And, and here, the exhortation for faith in Jesus is believe the testimony of God. Believe the testimony of the Father. The Father has, has spoken. The Father has said, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Don't miss him. Don't miss Jesus. This is my only begotten. This is my Son. If we deny the testimony of God in verse 10, he who believes in the Son of God has witness in himself. So when we believe in Christ, the Spirit is testifying that we belong to God. We have that witness inside of us. He who doesn't believe God has made him a liar Because he's not believed the testimony that God has given us his son. If you're here and you're rejecting Jesus and you're saying, I don't believe that Jesus existed. I don't believe that he's God. I don't believe he died and and rose again. Ultimately, you're rejecting the testimony of God. Ultimately, you're saying God is a liar. It's it's a lot bigger than a person. No, you're wrestling with God. And that's the reality here is will you believe God or not? Will you trust that that God is true? When you're sharing the love of Christ with others and they reject it, remember, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God, which is actually much worse, (laughs) you know, which is actually a lot more cause for heartbreak. Oh, you rejected me. I, I reject me half the time, right? But, oh, man, you're rejecting God. You're rejecting God's love. You're, you're rejecting the testimony of God. In verse 11, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. So this is God's testimony, that he's so kind, he's so good, he's so benevolent, that he's given us eternal life. Aren't you thankful for eternal life? Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled if you believe in me, because I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself. Jesus is preparing a place for us. The awesome part about eternal life and this life is in his son. Eternal life is Jesus. 
John 17, verse 3 tells us, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. For all of eternity, we're going to be getting to know God. Eternal life has started now. If we can put our focus on knowing Jesus, walking with Jesus, experiencing Jesus, the union, the fellowship, the oneness that's been brought to us with Jesus, we experience eternal life. We, we experience the life that Christ has provided. In verse 12, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Pretty simple, but pretty powerful. Amazingly powerful. If you have the Son, you have life. Jesus said that he came to give us life and life more abundantly. Overflowing life. Jesus was more joyful, more happy than all of his fellows, than everybody else that walked the earth because he loved righteousness and he hated wickedness. Jesus is life. He was full of life. He gave life. If you have Jesus, you have life. Don't ever forget it. But if you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. If you don't believe in Jesus, you don't have life. There's nothing in this world that can even begin to come close to the life that we have in Jesus Christ. And this is what we're longing for. This is what we're, we're looking for is the life that only Jesus can provide. And sometimes we get our eyes off of it as believers. I read this today in Time Magazine, and it shows our longing for, for life. It says, can luxury affect our desire for romance? What do you think? If there's more money involved, is there greater desire for, for romance? Well, thankfully, Time Magazine has done some research for us. The relationship between love and money just got even rockier. Psychologists at Swazi University in the UK showed 75 men and 76 women pictures of 50 potential love interests. So you got it? You're in a classroom. You get a picture of a potential love interest and asked if they're interested in a long, short, or non-existent relationship with each person. So you got three choices. No relationship, long relationship, or short relationship. Relax, we're not going to do this to you tonight. So. The researchers then showed some of them images of fancy cars, jewelry, big houses, or actual cash to see if it affected how they felt about dating. All right? So put a little bling bling, and maybe they'll be more interested in dating. It did. After the viewers had seen those images, they were shown the photos of the opposite sex again, compared with the group that was not shown any luxury images. These participants had a higher preference for short-term filings, chose 16% more such partners. So bing, 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 went up 16%. But those looking for something more serious should not fear the effects work both ways. After the participants show images of dangerous animals or videos of children, both men and women opted for long-term relationships. So, you know, show them the money, they want a short-term relationship. Show them violent animals, 
and children, and I need commitment. I need a long-term commitment for that. But we're looking, aren't we? We're constantly looking and longing and saying, what can fulfill me? What, what is going to pr- provide life? Is this job going to provide life? Is this relationship going to provide life? Is this pursuit going to provide life? And, and sometimes they're not even sinful things, but we're putting our, our eggs in the wrong basket. We're thinking this is going to provide life over here. And the only thing that can provide life is Jesus. Jesus is life. As we walk with him, as we obey him, as we know him, as we make him known, this is life. Jesus also told us if we try to save our life, we're going to lose it. But if we lose our life for his sake, we're going to find it. If we deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. This isn't always easy. Our flesh fights hard. But if we say no to our flesh and follow Christ, We're going to find life. He is life. May we be reminded of that. If you have Christ, you have life. You don't need anything else. You've got Christ, and he alone is the living water. Verse 13, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. John gives us his purpose in writing. He says, the whole reason I wrote this epistle to you is that you would believe in the Son of God and that you would know that you have eternal life. Isn't that incredible? You can actually know whether you have eternal life or not. You can have assurance that when you die, you're going to go home to, to be with the Lord. That's what John's saying. He's saying, I've written these things so that you know that you know you have eternal life. If you don't know that you have eternal life, it's worth asking some more questions. It's worth searching your heart. Do I believe and trust in Christ for salvation? That's a question you want to get to the bottom of. And then that we see this exhortation at the end of verse 13, that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So I've written these things that you may believe, but then that you continue to believe, that you continue to trust in the gospel. Verse 14, now this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. What's the most important part of that verse? According to his will, that's right. If we ask according to his will, we know that he hears us. So if we're asking according to our selfish desires, God's not going to grant those things to us. But if it's according to his will, we know that he hears. And if he hears, verse 15 And we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. So if he hears us, then he's going to give to us the things that we've asked. This is an incredible confidence in prayer. God, I know you hear me. This is according to your will, so I know that you're going to grant this to me. God may not grant that prayer for, for more money or an easier life. But if we're asking that God would make us more of a loving person, is that according to his will? Absolutely. We say, God, I really want to understand your word in a greater way. Is that according to his will? Yes. Jesus, help me to be a light that shines bright for you. Is that according to his will? Yes. And do we have this kind of confidence in prayer that God is, is hearing our prayers because we're in Christ? because we're praying according to his will. Is there anything as believers that could be hindering our prayers? Is there anything in the scripture that tells us 
could get in the way of our communion and fellowship with God. In Psalm 66, verse 18, it says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. So basically, if I'm holding on to persistent sin, then God, God will not hear. Husbands, this is just for us. This is a little Valentine's Day gift. Husbands, if you don't dwell with your wife in an understanding way, God says that it hinders our prayers. So if we're, if we're not understanding the needs of our wife, then that's going to affect our, our prayer life. Matthew 5, 23 and 24 tells us if we know that someone has something against us and we have an offering that we're bringing to God, we're to leave our offering at the altar and seek to be reconciled to our brother or sister uh, in Christ. And so those are some things that could affect our, our prayer life. I find verse 14 and 15 to be very challenging. It reads easy. If I pray according to God's will, I know that he hears and he's going to give me those, those petitions. But a lot of times I doubt. A lot of times even when I'm praying something that I know is according to God's will, my, my tendency is to wonder, God, do you hear? Are you, are you going to answer? How are you going to answer? When are you going to answer? That's why Jesus gives the compliment to childlike faith. You tell, tell a child, hey, we're going to eat dinner. And they don't look at you and go, are we really going to eat dinner? Did you mean it when you said we were going to eat dinner? They're probably going to ask, when are we going to eat dinner? But they trust that we're going to eat dinner. If you tell a child, the sun's going to come up tomorrow, there's no doubt in their mind that the sun's going to come up tomorrow. You could take a young child and take the color yellow and say this is red, and they would believe you. They would grow up their life being all messed up in the head thinking red is yellow. Don't do that, right? That, that's wrong, you know? But that's the amazing faith of a child. And for us to have faith as a child, to know, God, you're listening. You're my father. And you're longing to answer my prayers that are according to your will. He already wants to do those things in our lives. And so when we get to that place where we're pr praying according to his will, he wants to grant those things. You guys ready for verse 16 and 17? It's one of the more difficult uh, verses in the New Testament to interpret. It says, if anyone sees his brother sinning, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. Now that we're all clear on that, let's go on to verse 18. <laughs> so what in the world is going on in verse 16 and 17? Let's, let's pick this apart a little bit. First in verse 16 says, if you see a brother sinning, and it's a sin that's not leading to death, then go ahead and pray, and ask that God would intervene and get them off that track of sin. But if there is a sin that is leading to death, we get the very obscure instruction that's a shock to our system. Don't pray about that. That, that this is a sin that's leading to death. And then it tells us all unrighteousness is sin, but there is a sin that's not leading to death. So we're left wondering what in the world is John talking about? So here's a couple of possibilities. Is the first being the sin that is leading to death, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit that Jesus uh, talks about. What does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? It's to reject that Jesus Christ is God. It would flow with the context of 1 John 5. 
If someone repeatedly, not once, not twice, but over the course of her lifetime rejects Jesus Christ as their Savior, that is the sin leading to death. But then we have in the life of a believer sin that comes about. And yes, all sin, the wages of sin is death. But because we're in Christ and we're struggling with sin, it's not leading to the ultimate death. Does that make sense? So a believer who's struggling with sin, you see that, you pray for them, you pray that God would then uh, intervene. We then have no idea when someone's crossed that line and blasphemed the Holy Spirit, right? We're not God, so we, we should always continue praying for them. So that's one interpretation of verse 16 and 17. The other is much simpler. I'd actually never heard of it until I read it today in the Bible Knowledge Commentary. But Walvard and Zuck look at this verse and say, the sin that's leading to death is like Ananias and Sapphira. They sinned and God chose to allow them to die. So, so they sinned and it led to death and God made that dramatic point in, in Acts chapter five. And then everything else is sin that's not uh, leading uh, to death. So that could be a possibility as well. I tend to lean towards the first. It seems to make the most sense in the context that there, there is a warning here that you can blaspheme the Holy Spirit uh, and God ultimately knows when that place is. As we go through the Bible here at Rocky Mountain Calvary, we hope to go from Genesis to Revelation. There are a few sections of scripture that I'm waiting for more information. And honestly, this is one of those. So speaking of eternal life, we're gonna have the ultimate Bible study with Jesus. We know that the word of God endures forever so remember 1 John 5, 16 and 17 and go, hey, we want a little more clarification on this. In verse 18, we know that whoever is born of God doesn't sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him. We spent some time on this in verse, in earlier on in 1 John. This is not saying that a believer will not struggle with sin or fall into sin, but it is saying a, a lifestyle Uh, You know, as a believer, we're not going to be comfortable in sin. God is going to convict us of our sin. So that's what that's speaking to in verse 18. And then we have this wonderful promise that we're protected from the wicked one. Verse 19, we know that we're of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Church, this is important to remember. We have to see this world with spiritual glasses. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. There is a real enemy. That's the father of lies. And if someone doesn't know Christ as their savior, they're under the sway of the wicked one. We need to pray that their eyes are opened to the truth of who God is, and they get out from underneath the lies of the enemy. In verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. So Jesus has come and he has given us understanding that we may know him who is true and we who are in him who is true. In Jesus, in his Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. So Jesus has given us understanding that we may know Jesus in an intimate and personal way, and Jesus is true, and we are in Jesus. So this is an important truth of the union that we have with Christ, that we know Christ and that we're in Christ, that we've been brought into that close fellowship with the Lord, this true God and eternal life. 
Verse 21 ends the book of 1 John. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. That's quite a conclusion, isn't it? Why would John end this epistle this way? Because idolatry is the enemy to everything that's been written in 1 John. I want you to humor me for just a second and go back to 1 John 1, verse 1, where we started this study. 1 John 1, verse 1. Let's look at the first four verses. That which was... That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifest, and we have seen and bear witness, and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. John says, I've written these things to you so that you can have the same fellowship with Jesus that we do, the disciples, the apostles, and in fellowship with Jesus, your joy is going to be made full. Now, what's the enemy to fellowship with Jesus? Idolatry. What is idolatry? It's putting anything above our relationship with Christ. This is what was the thorn in the side to the children of Israel, was idolatry. Over and over again, they were in this cycle of idolatry. And here's the challenge, is guard yourself. That's what keep means, guard yourself from idolatry. John knows the temptation in his own heart, in all of our hearts, to go down this road of idolatry. Keep us from loving God. It'll keep us from from loving others, experiencing the abundant life that God has. So this is an active pursuit on our parts to be proactive, to make sure that nothing gets our attention over Jesus Christ. And sometimes we fail at it. A lot of times we fail at it. And to have the humility and the honesty to say, you know what, God, I've made this an idol in my life. And sometimes we don't even know that it's an idol until it's gone, right? And the way we start to feel when something has been taken away, you know, that that meant too much to me. Oh, I, I get it. I put that before my relationship with Christ. God, thanks for taking it away. You you revealed this to me that that this is This is an idol, but it's possible. It's possible to keep the Lord first, to keep the Lord first. What is it in your life that are good check marks, if you would, to make sure you don't slip into idolatry? Is it time in the word? Is it time in prayer? Is it accountability? Is it fellowship? Is it giving? You know, money easily turns into an idol, and why does God call us to give to the kingdom, to tithe, to be joyful givers? Because giving protects my heart from the idolatry of money, doesn't it? Okay, I gotta have giving in my life. That's, that's a safeguard against, against idolatry, but it, it's important to think through and, and pray through and say, Lord, I wanna be completely surrendered to you. So let's, let's pray together. 
Father, what a gift that we can be born of God, that we can be children of God, that spiritual birth in our lives. We thank you because of faith in you, Jesus, that you have overcome, that you're victorious over this world. We pray we would experience and walk in more of that victory. We thank you with confidence that we can believe in you because, Father, of your testimony of your Son, the water, the blood, the Spirit bearing witness in our lives. Lord, we don't want to have idols, and sometimes we do, and would you be gracious to reveal those idols to us, that you could be number one, that everything could be in its proper place. As we take communion tonight, would you meet us afresh in communion? We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.